Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Robin Rob. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. Hey, guys, and I'm Rob Federick. I am so excited for this episode today. <laughs> I'm Rob Schulte, and I think... I think I'm on that same level, Rob. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this one too, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, this is like a dream watching Jurassic Park. I got to tell you guys, Jurassic Park is my second all-time favorite movie. Uh, of course, bef- behind Braveheart because we've specified we, why we, that we, one yes. is first. Yeah, we but did. Jurassic Park was the movie that made me realize that movies are magic. And, yes, I don't uh, think I could have put it any different than that. It is no. magic in a box. It's magic in a box. It was the first time that I realized who Steven Spielberg was, because ironically, I had seen Jaws around that time. But I'm just really excited. I have so many cool filmmaker tidbits about this movie that I would love to share <laughs> I today. I cannot wait for those tidbits. Oh, my God. But this one's an exciting one, guys. Yeah. I love Jurassic Park. So Okay, so would you, would you, uh, would you characterize it as... Um... This one's a hit yourself with a baseball bat <laughs> on the face <laughs> if you haven't seen it. Um, I got to tell you guys, do you guys want to hear a quick funny story about this movie and like generations that Absolutely. are Absolutely. Yes, please. So I think I was, I was around, I forget when it came out. They, they re-released it in 3D back in like 2012 or 2011. I don't know if you guys yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like 2013. And I, I was dating this girl at the time who was way younger than I was. I was about like 27, 28. She was maybe like 22 or 21 around there. Uh, and she had never seen Jurassic Park. Uh, she texted me while I was at the theater and I was like, I'm watching Jurassic Park in 3D. She's like, oh, I've never seen it. I was like, what? Uh, fast forward to a couple months later, I own a 3D TV. I buy Jurassic Park in 3D. And I was like, you should come check this Oof. movie out, right? Oh, yeah. So she comes over. And we watch the movie and I'm like a kid in a candy store again. I mean, like I love sharing this movie with, especially with nobody that's seen it. It's like, oh my God, you're in for such a ride. (laughs) And at the end of the movie, uh, we finished watching it and I just look over at this girl and I'm like, and like, what'd you think? You know what I mean? And like, I've got this big wide open smile and she was like, yeah, it's okay. Uh Wow. Uh Are you crazy? Did you clutch your chest? I had Peter's... That was Peter's, like, ah, that was my reaction. (laughs) I need to go put a blanket over my head. (laughs) No, no, no. I kicked her out of the house. I was like, no, we can't. We can't see each other anymore. You need to leave. It was okay. It's like, who are you? What, like, uh, do you wa- do you watch movies at all? Like, are you not impressed with the 3D? How the 3D graphics in this movie can actually be better than today's graphics in a lot of movies? I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, you want another quick tidbit of information? Yeah, sure. I would Bring love it. to try to see if we can get him on the podcast. But I know a guy named Spaz Williams, Steve Williams, but his, they, he goes by Spaz. He's a director. He actually worked with Dennis Murin and John Knoll at mm. ILM when he was like 26 mm. years old. And it's because of him that ILM presented Spielberg with the idea that the dinosaurs could be done in the computer. Whoa. He was the guy at 26 years old back in the fucking early 90s, guys. He devised the technology and he was like, I can do this in the computer and composed the initial test with the t- with with sorry he composed the initial text with the T-Rex that they then showed to Spielberg and Spielberg was like 
holy shit, I can do this. Wow. Uh, I can make this movie. Because initially they were going to do something called, sorry, something called Go Motion, which is like an evolution of stop motion that Phil Tippett was supposed to do. And I, I've seen that in the making before. I've yes. seen that in the making before. Uh, yes. It was actually say? very impressive. Right. I the, thought Go Motion was pretty impressive, but it just didn't it didn't really work. You know what I mean? It wouldn't it wouldn't have like looked as good as the, the 3D Raptors, for instance. Or it no, like Clash of the Titans. Yeah, it yeah. would have. Yeah, it would have. But Basically. like slightly more upgraded. They they sure. devised a way to incorporate motion blur in between it, so it wouldn't look as choppy oh, as Clash of the Titans. And okay. that's what they were gonna go with. But then when they saw the the CG test and Phil Tippett saw it, he literally said, "It looks like I'm extinct." And that line wow. made it into the movie yeah. when they're in the visitor center and um, they're they're talking. John Hammond's talking, and uh, I forget. Uh, I think it was Sam Malcolm. Neal's character. Yeah. It was Malcolm. Well, Ian Malcolm says, "Don't you mean extinct?" Because yes, he's. Exactly. Uh, I think Looks he, like we're out of a job. That's what it was. <laughs> and then Ian Malcolm, of course, is. Don't you mean extinct? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. So, but I would love to try to see if we can get Steve uh, Spaz, Spaz on here because Spaz would be. Uh, and just an unreal a wealth person of knowledge. Yes, yes. Bring before on we get the into spaz. this movie, before we get into this movie, guys, let's. Uh, Rob, do you have a VHS copy of this? Yeah, I have opened the vault Ooh. in my Brooklyn apartment that I keep all of my VHS tapes in, guys. I can't this believe one, you have a VHS tape of Jurassic Park. I'm so he jealous. Yes, VHS, hey, man. He has VHS copies of every single movie. On Magical at the Movies. <laughs> Guys, I have VHS copies of movies that weren't made on VHS. It's insane. I don't know Boom, how, baby. I, how I've done it. Uh, but it goes like this. And this one is a little longer than rest. And I think that's okay because it is an epic film. Director Steven Spielberg presents a triumph of imagination, suspense, science, and cinematic magic that has quickly become the most successful film in worldwide box office history. On a remote island, a wealthy entrepreneur secretly creates a theme park featuring living dinosaurs drawn from prehistoric DNA. Before opening the attraction to the public, he invites a top paleontologist, a paleobotanist, a mathematician slash theorist, and his two eager grandchildren to experience the park and help calm his anxious investors. However, their visit is anything but tranquil as the park's security system breaks down the prehistoric creatures break out, and the excitement builds to surprising results. It's based on Michael Crichton's best-selling novel, Jurassic Park, stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Richard Attenborough, Sir Richard Attenborough. Yes. It's a breathtaking adventure you'll want to experience again and again. They were wow. not wrong. They were not wrong. Yes. I have to say this straight out the gate, guys, because this is something that I feel is a moment in this film, and we can go backwards, we can go forwards. There are, I think, moments in this movie that are cemented into our brains. It's hard to say. We know the whole film is great, but when Sam Neill and Laura Dern are in the Jeep, yes, and his sunglasses, he just peels them off of his head because you yes. hear the dinosaurs. You haven't seen the dinosaurs. And yeah. then he, she's, Laura Dern is inspecting an, an, an ancient leaf. I mean, he is like, oh no, I, have, I can't even talk to you. I can't take my head away. I have to turn your head to look at this. And there's the reveal 
of the first live dinosaur. I was watching this film, as as we've said previous times on this podcast, I got chills. I was taken right back to seeing this in the theaters. It was like dinosaurs were real, and I got to experience them once again. Uh, Rob, when was the first time that you ever watched this movie? Oh, I it had to have been 93. I mean, 93? It, I, my parents took me to see it in theaters. I, so I you don't, got, the, you got yeah. to experience it on the big screen. Yes, but oh. I don't remember it in in the way that I wish I would. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it. I remember being amazed. I right. remember being like, for the next two years, dinosaurs and paleontology was all I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we're we're all around the same age. Peter, when did you see the first? The, when did you first see it? <clears throat> I didn't see it in theaters because, uh, but I did see it in 1983 when it came out on because it. We were such big, you know, growing up, we were big fans of superheroes. Like I grew up with Marvel comics, but one of the things that um, I grew up with and my brother, especially the Jude grew up with was dinosaurs. He loved dinosaurs. He had like the T-Rex. He had the whole collection of all of the Jurassic Park figurines. So he was obsessed with this movie. Those toys were amazing. They were. Yeah, they were amazing. They were amazing. And I remember this movie when I was a kid. I remember the commercials coming out with the the T Rex like putting his foot down and then the eye and then of course the glass of the cup of water that was you know fl- uh, it was uh, yeah. making that um, vibration. So you know that I'll, I'll jump in that in a little bit, but like that was one of the hardest effects they had to pull off in the did movie. Did they use like a guitar string or something? They did because they they didn't figure out they didn't couldn't figure out how the vibration could go to make this perfect little circular yeah. ripple that Spielberg wanted. And one of the effects guys literally went home and he, he just happened to put the, a cup of water on top of his guitar and he plucked a string and he got that vibration. It was something about the sound frequency that made it. So they designed it so that inside the car, they could put like a string underneath and pluck it every time they needed to make the the ripple. Yeah. And and Ugh. But they could not figure it out for the longest time. Damn. And who knew, man? Like that's, you know, something that wasn't... The thing about this movie too is that it's, practical effects meets digital effects yes. and oh, and they incorporate them seamlessly it's not like the um star wars prequels where it's you know all cgi which is <laughs> you mean my favorite star wars movies oh my god <laughs> so wait so peter you didn't get to see this in the theaters did you get I to didn't. go back when it was in 3d and see it in the movie i didn't but then again i own a 80 inch uh 80 80 inch screen tv you yeah. know so last night when i was watching this and then you know a couple of weeks ago when we rewatched it again and yeah i've seen this movie countless amount of times yeah you know, <laughs> as many times as i've probably seen gladiator that's amazing <laughs> Uh, when was the last? When was the first time you saw it? So I guess I, actually, I think the question for this one when was the last time we saw it yesterday. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, the first time I saw it, I actually lived in Venezuela at the time, and it was in 1993. I got to go to the movie uh-huh. theater, and I went with like my cousins, my mom, and my aunt. And at first, the trailers, everybody was talking about this movie from the trailers, but my mom was hesitant to take us because my grandma, her mother, had read the Michael Crichton book, and apparently. Mm. 
that book is extremely gory. It's <gasps> it's very it's very different from the movie in a lot of ways. Well, the great thing about this movie is that it straddles that line. It could what with one scene it could go rated R. It could, but like they avoided a lot of the bloody parts because the book was actually fairly fairly gory. So my mom was hesitant at first to take us, but then we just decided to go and I remember being so wowed. Like this this was I was floored. This this changed me forever. When I saw this movie and the dinosaurs were, re- it felt like they were real. I remember the distinct sounds of the T-Rex having a major impact on me. Like the whole design of the park, obviously John Williams' soundtrack, which is just unbelievably be- beautiful. But I remember coming home and pretending to be a dinosaur and trying to roar like the T-Rex. <laughs> It felt like that animal was real. Like I couldn't believe it. It was, it was impressive. So I, that changed me forever. Like I remember play, like you, Rob, I was putting on a hat and a denim shirt and going out to my backyard and pretending I was digging up a dinosaur, like at the beginning of the scene and then playing with the Jurassic Park toys, trying to recreate the movie uh, for years. Like, I, oh man, this movie's amazing. I got to tell you guys, I had this like, crazy memory something i had not thought about until i watched this movie again yesterday of my family would always go to this kansas city fried chicken restaurant called strouds and i remember going as like a big family meal they were ordering all this food and i just wasn't paying attention it was like family and friends like a long table of people right and i wasn't paying attention to a single thing that was going on because I had my encyclopedia of dinosaurs book wow. in my lap <laughs> that I was just going over and going over because I loved Jurassic Park so much. That's actually amazing. That's probably something that I would um I would have done. But before we get into like the nitty gritty, because like I do have some things that I would like to discuss uh, that that are very prevalent in today's world about this, you know, about this movie. But before that, I want to address like, you know, we have like the Sam Neill, Dr. Alan Grant, and we also have uh, Ellie Sattler and then John Hammond. Those are the main characters. But I just want to like <laughs> Malcolm, A and Malcolm. Yeah. Dr. Ian Malcolm. But yeah. I just want to like talk about I want to talk about the unsung heroes of this movie. OK, this was Samuel Jackson before yes. he was Samuel yes. Jackson. Yes. Hold on yes. to your butts. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. But my favorite character in this entire movie, and it's because I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Fingers crossed. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. <laughs> my favorite character what? is Dennis. Yes. <laughs> Dennis Newman. Nedry. I love Dennis Nedry. Uh-uh, I uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. didn't say uh-uh. the magic word. <laughs> <laughs> Dodson. We got Dodson here. Oh, man. See, nobody cares. See, nobody. That, that Which one became scene, the, the most... biggest meme yes. ever yes. in the yeah. history of memes. It, of of, of like yeah of like we, that is the most prevalent <laughs> meme of that movie like, yeah exactly hey we got we got we got so and so here see nobody cares <laughs> yeah you know so what I good. love about Nedry so much and I'm sure what? it's the same for you guys but like the fact that he's got such a like hateable role yes. uh, but it's not slathered on the way like the lawyer <laughs> right. is you know like the lawyer yes. is like okay oh, we're not supposed to like look yeah the he's lawyer is like yeah but, exactly but like. Nedry is like a like what you always say, Peter. You understand his motivations, but right. B like he is a fully developed villain. He has yes. means, motive, inspiration, and like personality. 
when the check gets dropped on the table and he just stares at stares at it and he's like, "Don't get cheap on me." That was the <laughs> yeah. other guy's problem. Don't you don't know? get cheap on me, Dotson. That's yeah. what's Hammond's mistake. No, and that's then also, it. yeah, that's a good little foreshadowing moment because then he does have a discussion with John Hammond and John yep. Hammond talks about his financial difficulties not being his problem. And he does say one great line where he was, I don't blame people for their mistakes, but I do ask that they pay for them. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. You get this dynamic where, like, there's definitely some animosity there. That well, I want to know the backstory between Hammond and Nerdly. Yeah, and, that, and yeah, there's there is something. Which, by the way, Nerdly. do you think that Nedry was maybe a play on words on Nerdy? Now that you say yeah, it, because oh, he's supposed to be, to be Nerdy. I can't. I always call him ner- Nerdly, but his name is Nedry. Yeah, Nedry. Yeah, but it, it's just you know the cast of characters in this movie is 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 very it, it's amazing. Um, the other thing, too, is there's so many underlying themes in this movie um, that people don't realize. Obviously, there's the key one, which is the whole, you know, playing God and, you know, uh, bringing back, you know, through genetic research. Like, do yeah, we that's bring something, back? That's something I want to touch on is like, uh, how far should we advance? You know what I mean? Because we, we see all this cloning stuff. Right. We see a bunch of stuff going on. And this movie addresses that. It's like, you know, dinosaurs had their shot and nature selected them for extinction. Should we be going against what nature intends? Right, right. That's a which... whole... But that's that. But that's this movie. This movie is foreshadowing. It's all foreshadowing. It's all a look at humanity the way yeah. it is. You know, And that's what I love about this film. And, you know? But I'm saying... Obviously, that being the the main theme of the movie, you still get like all these other smaller subplots mm. where, for example, Sam Neill coming to terms with the fact that, you know, he he, you know, does he like or does he like kids or not? Because he's a protector in a certain way. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, Which is it's, why I hate Jurassic Park three, by the way. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a weird one. But uh, but either way, like I thought those themes were great. Then you have the, you know, car- Obviously, a lot of people love Jurassic Park for many reasons, but I feel like a lot of people really love Jeff Goldblum in this movie. And Jeff Goldblum is this rock star character, mathematician, chaotician, I should say, um, where he, you know, he brings so much to the table in terms of the social commentary of this movie Mm -hmm. and also the dynamic of. You know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, which he says it, yes. right? He's just, you know, he's yes. like, you're so preoccupied with whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think if you should, right? And I think that that, for me, was one of the most eye-opening moments in the movie where, yeah, like, what if this technology did exist? Like, should you push the boundaries of anything? Because you don't know how far, you know, you're going to go and like, what is going to come back to bite you in the ass, you know? Yes. And 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 it yep. all ties back down to obviously the main theme. But I don't know. I just thought this movie was rich with subplots and themes and characters that like there's just so much more than the amazing dinosaurs. And you could just watch it for the dinosaurs and still love it. So mm-hmm. it, it's just such it's so clever. I love it. I was going to say the same thing about that line. Like, uh, you know, should you, could you? Um, is a very fine uh, line in the sand. Also, like medical medical situations, uh, it could be like, yes, we need to find all of these ways to make people live healthy and, and fantastic lives, but like we should be searching for the right reasons. And I think this movie gives you a, albeit extreme reasoning, like uh, it gives you, it, it, what am I trying to say? It sets the boundaries of, 
hubris, I guess. Right. Do you have, I talked a little bit about one of mine, uh, but I think that's kind of everyone's, but do you have a favorite scene in the movie? Uh, I have yes. favorite. I have a few favorite moments. Well, that's that's what I mean. I would like <laughs> to know some moments that really stick out to you to be like, if anything else, this movie rocks because of X. How about you, Rob? I could say there's two key moments for me in this movie. One obviously is the 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 scene at night when we first see the t-rex like that Mm. scene was is jurassic park for me the the t-rex encounter in the rain is jurassic park for me hands down it is one of the most amazing sequences in film history for me like that just does it because the the t-rex just feels real i mean i've that animal existed Uh, it was there you know yeah. But the other moment for me that actually captivates me is when the first raptor is born out of the egg. Uh-huh. Oh, that that, is- oh, God. That oh, scene God. was amazing because it's the first time we see a dinosaur at the yeah. park, right? And it comes out of this egg and you're like realizing like, oh, they were born, they were hatched from eggs and it's in the science lab and this little creature, which at first when I was a kid, I thought it was a mini T-Rex. I didn't understand that it was a raptor yet, you know? Yeah. I think when I was a kid, I thought the same thing. Yeah. But I just thought it was unbelievable. I tried to like, I was like, I need an egg. I want to create that scene. I don't know why, but it was something because I think it's such a subtle introduction to the birth of these dinosaurs and and it and it and it metaphorically says that that you're yeah. you're just this is the beginning of it and now you're going to be along for this amazing ride and mm. it just opened up my eyes to wonderment I, I can't i can't even describe the feeling anymore but that those are my two i well, i think something that goes along with the the hatching of the raptor scene is that the scale of the film is completely at zero because there's so much joy and so much like for lack of a better word pleasure like knowing that they've succeeded and you're like mm-hmm. seeing them create a dinosaur but then you get Sam Neill as Grant like just being like wait a second this is great this is spectacular but you have created one of the most terrifying dinosaurs the out most there deadly yeah absolutely yeah. you can see and his intelligence yeah you can see him being ter- the terror he's terrified on his face you can see it well, isn't, yeah. and then there's, you know, the, the follow up to that is when they actually go to the raptor pen and they meet, I for, oh my God, I forgot the Australian guy's name. Muldoon? The, 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 yeah, Muldoon, yeah. Robert Muldoon? Robert Muldoon. They meet Clever Robert Muldoon, and, mm-hmm. the English guy, and they talk about, you just hear the raptors, you don't see them, it's the Jaws effect, mm, but you get yeah. to see him talk about how he was like, they're extremely intelligent. They were testing the, the fences, you know what I mean? Like he, yes. you start to get a glimpse that these creatures are high. And, and ironically, the stars of Jurassic Park are the raptors. It's not the T-Rex. Yes, it's the raptors, yeah. But everybody's memorable moment is the T-Rex, for me at least, you know? Like, yeah, they I, really, uh, they publicized that T-Rex pretty well back in the 90s. Yeah. Right. Because, well, the T-Rex is the most recognizable of all the Jurassic Park dinosaurs, but the raptors are the main characters. Yeah. We yeah. start off with the we start off you know with the dig 
they're they're talking about velociraptors. Right. In fact, the the two scenes that stood stood out to me is of course the beginning one where Robert Muldoon is trying to save one of the workers, and he so good. he locks eyes. And I ex- I had to explain this to my brother last night. He was watching the movie together. He locks eyes with the raptor, and we never know. Like he never noticed that. I always noticed that because it's like it's like these two these two hunters yeah, are now their right. their destiny is now intertwined. Robert Muldoon wow. and that raptor, their their destinies are now intertwined. They're gonna one is gonna kill the other. It's like it's you, you or me. I mean? Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, it's you or yeah. me. You know, and and because he's trying to take away. So the raptor doesn't even try to kill Robert. He just uh, she she just kills the you know kills the uh, eats eats the worker. That's it. She's but, waiting for him. She wants him. Cause she, it's kind of weird. Cause she's intelligent, so right. she knows he's another hunter like her. You know, you know it's you know it's kind of depressing though. Huh? Like the raptors in this movie look so cool, but you know that raptors didn't really look like that at all. Uh, we will sure touch any on of that. the we'll get back did. to that. We'll get back to that. Oh yeah, yeah. Peter's just... got to give us his our history oh, yeah. lesson of the episode. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I remember no. <laughs> having a discussion with your brother Peter with the Jude about about this. And and your brother just was like, no, I adamantly reject the principle that the raptors birds. had feathers and did you know Ugh. looked like little turkeys <laughs> that you know were like five like not even they were like three feet tall. How do we how do we feel about that, guys? How do we feel about them saying, oh, ra- uh, uh, dinosaurs are birds and they all have feathers now? How do we feel? I think it's, I mean, I'm not going to argue with science to too far because I'm not one who's studied much on it. Um, I think it's fun to, I don't know, find out new things about dinosaurs. But at the same time, how how can we really know if what the feathers might have looked like? How yeah. do we really know we what actually, the scales might have looked like? I'm you, not you sure. Gotta, no, no, but there's some amazing fossils that they've found recently. Not even fossils. They've actually found a preserved leg or tail. I think it was Whoa. a raptor tail that has vertebrae, scales, and feathers. Um, like very Whoa. distinguished in amber. Like you should Google it. It's amazing, Rob. And I think that initially I didn't like the principle of it because, you know, I wanted them to be like Jurassic Park. But the more that I look at it, birds, if you look at bird feet, like a chicken foot, yeah, yeah. it looks like a T-Rex foot. Yeah, but the problem is that birds have beaks and dinosaurs don't have beaks. No, but they did structurally, like if you look at how beaks look, like they were kind of, like... I do see the evolutionary process from dinosaurs in the, sure. into birds, and I I kind of dig it now. Like I'm kind of We're into also it because talking millions of years, so of I can, course <laughs> billions. Yeah. But yeah, but true. but I really I like looking at a bird and feeling like I want to look back into your genetics because there is something so dinosaur like yeah. about you. Like if you look at an emu, you know what I mean, or like an ostrich, yeah. Yeah. you look at that thing, and you're like. You know, your distant relatives were dinosaurs. That that's nice. kind of cool that they're still here in a way. You know, it's interesting. But then I again, do... alligators look very much like dinosaurs too. Well, they look like Jurassic Park dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah, but they have the same type of beak. Uh, the the same type of beak that I'm talking about. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, they also said in Jurassic Park afterwards because they had. Um, I think his name was. I forget his first name. Doctor Horner. He was a he was a paleontologist that was brought to consult. 
on Jurassic Park. And he was the one that actually pushed the theory about the birds uh, and, and dinosaurs being birds. And he was widely rejected by the scientific community until his research started showing promise. And they brought him in uh, as a consultant. And he was the one that kind of designed the look of the dinosaurs a little bit with Phil Tippett and Stan Winston. And I just remember being fascinated by it because um, they, they said back, listen, we didn't get them perfectly right. But the idea is that Jurassic Park genetically mutated these dinosaurs with frog and reptile yes, DNA yes. to complete the genetic sequence in order to get them. So at the end, you are making sort of monstrous versions of them because at the end of the day, they are movie monsters, uh, the best kind. But I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit. Oh, Speaking of technical, so um, one of my other f- scenes that stuck out to me, even as a kid and then to today, is the helicopter ride. So when, when <laughs> nice. yeah, the, uh, you know, the, uh, there it is, you know, that, that scene. Oh, yeah. So when they're trying to land, Dr. Grant is trying to buckle up, right? Yeah. And he has two female buckles. That's So he has to tie them together. Now, when I was a kid, and this is something that, of course, the Jude talked about as well. I'm bringing him his name up because he loves Jurassic Park. Awesome. I wish we should have brought um, him on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but he uh, he and I first thought when we were younger that, oh, this means that they haven't done any inspecting of the park. And mm. the thing could, the whole thing could come crumbling down just like these buckles. They're like, they're not doing any, any little remote inspecting of this park, you know? But really, it's foreshadowing. Now, it's both. It's two things. That they're not doing their jobs correctly. And this whole thing is going to come crashing down like a house of cards. But the second thing is that it's two female um, buckles. Which yeah. which brings us back to uh, Life Finds a Way by Dr. Malcolm. Right. Where these, uh, you, you're saying the two female dinosaurs will uh, uh, breed. And he says, no, uh, what I'm saying is that life uh, finds a way. I love how uh, you you did the. Uh, uh, You're implying that a group composed entirely of female animals will breed. No, I'm I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Well, we used to do that all the time. We yeah. were like, a uh, uh, life uh, 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 finds a way. <laughs> um, well, and I like that Dr. Grant is the like personification of life in that moment. He found a way to buckle his buckle, even though he had two opposing ends i never thought about that peter and you just blew my mind with that like when you just said the two female buckles i was like it makes so much damn sense right like that's such a spielberg thing too but it's but it's twofold he's getting across two points there number one two female buckles number two this park is going to crumble because they can't even get the buckles on a helicopter to work right right Uh, do you see what what i mean possibly go wrong Right. <laughs> no, and I think there's a lot of um, there's just so many themes. Just like with the lawyer again, we're talking about like corruption, where he's there to try to shut them down because the money and the and investors. Then all of a sudden, and then when he sees the wonder, and then all of a sudden, it's like we're gonna make a fortune with this place, and now it's all like money, 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 which again goes into the whole thing where it's like he's being cavalier. He's not looking at the bigger picture. He's just looking at the financial gain and he wants to charge everybody like super, you know, a ton of money. And, you know, now he's like super excited about it and so quick to change his mind when he was such like, you know, he was such an antagonist to Hammond. Oh, yeah. And it, it just, it, this movie reflects on so many things that you're, you're just like, wow. Like I, I, I keep learning something new every time I watch it. I just learned something new about it now with these buckles, you know, like it's, yeah. I All never get tired of this movie. I just never get tired of learning. from Wow. It. I can't believe you didn't even, 
that was, yeah, that's a, it's a twofold thing. But another thing that I want to address guys <clears throat> is the lysine contingency. Oh lysine. Yeah. yeah. So what is the point? See, Hammond said absolutely not, but what is the point of having a lysine contingency, which is like they're, they're being fed this lysine protein to the animals. If they don't have this lysine protein, they die. They yes. slip into a coma and die. Yes. First of all, how are they getting them lysine? I don't, I don't understand that bit. But but before we even dive into that, why have a contingency if you're not willing to use it? Because you are in danger. Your life is being threatened, Mr. Hammond. But that's the point. I and think, so are your grandkids. I think that's that's the whole premise with Hammond, especially in The Lost World, too. If you see that movie, you, you get a little more back, backstory. Is that Hammond was this visionary who just believed so blindly in the science and the love of these animals, right? Because he sa- he even says it at the meeting and he gets interrupted. He says, if condors, he's like, if condor, if I, if condors are going to, ex- and I would like, I'd be a humanitarian, you know what I mean? But like you criticize me because these animals are misunderstood. Or but it, it, it's like Hammond is almost infant like in his thinking where it's like, we yeah. just have the possibility to do this. Why wouldn't we do this? And I love these animals. I there's no way that we're gonna kill that squash this baby. This is my whole life's blood into this. Like I love, like I will never kill this. And at the end, he does understand that. Like when he gets on the helicopter and he and he's holding the the, the staff and he sees the amber, like like he he does feel that. And when he's having the ice cream with Ellie Sattler, he also understands that. And we get a little glimpse about that when he was a kid and he went to the flea circus. And the magic of that captivated him. Mm-hmm. He wanted to give people something that was real. And he did that. You know, he, he he in his mind, he did that. Sattler disagrees. She says that it was always an illusion, you know. But I, I don't know. I think that that's the whole point behind Hammond is that he just believes in it so blindly that he's never willing to accept the real nature of what he's created. I yeah, see. I totally I agree with you, Rob. I really love that scene you pointed out when he talks about the condors and Ian Malcolm, everyone's favorite character in this movie, uh, <laughs> next to Nedry. Uh, next to Nedry. Like, Actually, I'm a I'm a Dr. Alan Grant guy. I, okay, I really okay. like Grant. So. There you go. Um, well, I just love Malcolm saying like, yeah, the condors or he's like, but the dinosaurs aren't going extinct due to deforestation. He's like, they had their shot. You know, and I, right. I love that idea that even that just like passes right over Hammond because what you're like his his just hopefulness. I think I said it before his hubris, his thoughts, like what he wants is outweighing the reality of the situation. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I uh, uh, completely been understand there. that. Yeah. One of my questions, though, uh, is the lysine. Conti- How do they feed these? Oh, yes. Is that like a, is that injected into animals that they feed? I don't know. I, th- I guess I guess that's they probably give them some supplementation of some sort to the carnivores, especially. Um, and, you know, is there the- like a gas that they like expel out into the air? I just remember <laughs> I never read the book, but I think at the end of Jurassic Park in the book, Hammond uh, nucle- like detonates the island. Like, yeah. really? Yes. That's what really. I've heard too. I don't I, remember I exactly, it, but I think something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that they needed to implement something that was that contingency uh, because they said that they would die without lysine or whatever. I think it was just kind of like a, like a, like a safety precaution. But again, we look at the lost world and we find out that they found lysine from certain plants and then the carnivores were eating the herbivores that were eating oh. the lysine. So they were getting lysine that way. And that's how they thrived after. Interesting. Yeah.
let me ask you guys this. How much did you enjoy the Dilophosaurus? <laughs> that was my first Jurassic Park toy. Uh, oh, yeah. With Dennis? The Dilophosaurus with Dennis? <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to run so you over when I come back down. Yeah. <laughs> the thing was so cute before it. You know, you I want to know how that thing opened the Jeep door. <laughs> Movie magic. How? Didn't he leave the door open, though? When yeah, I, I think he left the, the door. It was the passenger seat. Well, uh, if raptors can open up doors, I'm saying Dilophosaurus okay. can open doors. Okay. Here's something that jumped out to me, Peter oh. and Rob. The I say Peter because you brought up that the the seatbelt situation. This is something that I didn't notice until this watch. So we don't know about the Dilophosaurus really. You know, I mean, they yes. allude to it a little bit earlier. We kind of mm-hmm. have the facts of the dinosaur. But right. we don't know exactly what this like hood's gonna look like or anything. But as Nedry is like trying to play fetch to get it to go away and making fun of the dinosaur, Nedry puts up his hood on his rain jacket, and so I think that that instills something else into the Dilophosaurus that is like, no, this is not a friend. This is a foe. Because yes. he has a dangerous hood the way I put up uh, my hood. Hmm. And it really got me thinking of like, man, if he just wouldn't have had a rain jacket on, would it have been as dangerous or would this Dilophosaurus have been interested and walked away? Is it because he inadvertently showed this aggression that he got taken out? I don't know. I think this thing was stalking him from the very beginning. I think the hmm. whole metaphor for this is that Nedry is also dabbling with powers he doesn't understand. True. And he kind of bit the hand that feeds, and now he's going to get eaten for it. When I was a kid, though, I swore up and down that the sequel for Jurassic Park was going to be that those eggs that get caught in the mud were going to hatch. I didn't understand the embryos like yeah, were being yeah, yeah. actually destroyed. I just I just thought, like, oh, now those... Now the... Now the dinosaurs are going to roam free outside of the park. And like, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was a kid. I didn't understand how embryos really work. Well, I do think overall, yes, that's, that's the Nedry thing. I just think like in that moment, if we were to take story out of it, yeah. I just thought that was very interesting. I think, I think you're right. I mean, you, yeah. You know, like look at the two female buckles. I didn't really. Yeah. I, I, I concur. <laughs> So you know what to, you know what's interesting to me though the thing that kicked off this entire plot this entire movie was the insurance. Now you know they're going on they 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 go about no seriously that's right, what kicked off right. this entire when they so, kill so, the poor worker at the beginning yeah, yeah exactly so the insurance company wants uh, some experts all right you know what makes them think that a paleontologist is an expert it's like okay so bring in Dr. Grant my question is what did. <laughs> By name, by the way, they wanted Doctor. They Alan don't want Doctor Grant. What did, what did Mister John Hammond tell this insurance company? First of all, was the insurance company piss poor? But second, second off, what did he tell? Did he say that it was just like a petting zoo in the middle of Costa Rica? Is it, we're going to have lions and tigers and bears? Oh my! <laughs> or did he like? How, I wonder what that conversation was like. It's like you know, you have your investors saying. You're telling your investors one thing. You're telling your insurance something else. And then all of a sudden, uh, someone ends up dead and the insurance company is like, what? What is that? You, you have dinosaurs? You know? I think, <laughs> but I think the lawyer says it. Um, 
he, you know, he, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Gennaro. Gennaro? Yeah, Gennaro, Gennaro says that when he meets up with, uh, with, um, the digger, he's, he tells him that, um, they, they were concerned about just the safety overall of the park. And I think okay. it wasn't so much because they were door poor that they couldn't, you know, this family was suing or whatever. Uh, they probably could do that, but like, they were like, all right, well, but like, is this going to keep happening? You know what I mean? Is this going to be a continu- you know, a continuing issue? Because the park wasn't <laughs> open yet, and the investors were probably getting restless because they probably put a lot of money into this park. Wait, how much do you think this park cost? Billions. $500 billion. I'm going to say half a trillion. Billions. Billions. It's in okay. the billions for sure. What do you think, Rob? Oh, it has to be. I can only imagine the science alone is a billion and a half. You well, know? And just remember, everything was spared at no expense. So. Yeah. <laughs> like the voice of Richard Kiley spared no expense. <laughs> Here's what I would have done. I would have taken some of those uh, night vision goggles home at least as a souvenir. How I, that's, fucking cool were those, right? I, like, they, oh, man. They were heavy. They were expensive. And they saw <laughs> at night. I wanted them. <laughs> Are they heavy? Yeah. We'll put them back. They're expensive. They're expensive. Yeah. Put them back. Oh See, but God. that also, again, it, it's so great. Like the characters are so who they are because the whole time the lawyer's just thinking dollars, 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 dollars. He yep. doesn't care about the kid. He doesn't care about anything else. He cares about what is going to make money and what is not. Like he's a blood sucking lawyer. He's a blood sucking lawyer, <laughs> and he got eaten on the toilet. I just Ugh. am really happy that the T Rex didn't ask if he was a good dinosaur at the end of this movie. Um, that's my Saving Private Ryan moment. Everyone, it might be cut out of the episode. <laughs> no. Um, you know that the T-Rex was not supposed to make an appearance at the end. And really? What was he, a ninja? You go from like this T-Rex stomping around, yeah. causing, oh, yeah. the water, <laughs> causing the water to ripple, and then all of a sudden he's a ninja? Well, she she had her two moments, right? The the rain uh, encounter, the first one, and then when she chases the ga- Gallimimus down, right? But Spielberg said the audience would never forgive him if we didn't see the T-Rex at least one more time. And that's when he puts it in when the raptors come and, he, and, he, and she fights the raptors. And that scene at the end when it when she roars and then like the banner is oh, like yeah. over, that is a freaking movie moment. Oh, yeah. That, like, that's probably my third favorite moment in the movie, honestly. I that's love a that great, moment. That's a great moment. There's a, like, I... I I can go through a bunch of great moments in this entire movie, but that is one of the best. So iconic. However, how did no one hear that thing marching on through? It, well, it turned just into cut a his toenails. So <laughs> I mean, I think we were, on the too, ground. we were too busy running away from raptors to even bother to hear it. Oh, okay. All right. I'll, we I'll thought about that. all of the places we could run. We didn't think about all of the places we should run, which is go. into the arms of the T-Rex. <laughs> um, those little, little itty bitty arms. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I love that. Seeing those, those Velociraptors and the T-Rex fighting. I mean, Rob, you said it perfectly. That is a perfect movie moment. And God, if I was allowed to have a poster of that in my living room, it would just be a giant... <laughs> when dinosaurs ruled the earth, uh, big what's, painting above my fireplace. Rob, what's stopping you? Your girlfriend? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> I'm That's a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would say 
better taste than my own. How about that? <laughs> there you go. I mean, I already have I already have three paintings of my old English bulldog hanging up, and I think that's what I. Oh wow! Okay, (laughs) well, you know what? You can make your desktop background. Yes, that's what I will do. Right now, it's a pumpkin patch, but uh, that gives you an idea of when we're recording, audience. Yes, Uh, (laughs) yes, guys, we are almost to our time, but I think we should all talk about our big takeaways from this film. What do you think? Absolutely. Let's do it. Can I ask you guys a question, though? Before sure. Please. Okay. Two questions, because it's a two-parter. One, what is your favorite dinosaur, right? Hmm. B, is Jurassic Park a perfect movie? Oh, haven't had that question in a while, Rob. And I'm glad you brought it back. I just want to put that out there. Um, <laughs> uh-huh, there we go. I, from what I have learned in the criteria for a perfect film. I would say that although I think this movie, hmm, I don't even think I could say that. I was going to say it's a little long, but it's not. It's only like two hours long. Um, It might be a little bit long for people's patience nowadays, but definitely not in 93. But the story is fine. Every beat is hit. I think it's a perfect film. It's definitely, like you said, a uh, hit yourself with a baseball bat film. Oh, yeah. Uh, Home run at that. (laughs) And what was the other question? Because I am really obsessed with this. What's your favorite favorite dinosaur? dinosaur. Favorite dinosaur. And my favorite dinosaur has evolved over the years. But I really like a triceratops and I, I i'm not even sure if it's a real dinosaur anymore i think they've right. done discoveries they've been saying that yeah that it's probably yeah. not real yeah but really? i really i love the way it looked in this film it, you know i i felt for it it was sick it made for the really funny that's a huge pile of shit scene that is one big pile of shit um, <laughs> it's so you. good but it felt like if Just i were remember to, to wash your hands before you yeah. eat anything <laughs> if i were to have a a dinosaur companion it would have to be like a miniature triceratops that's pretty wow. cool that's yeah. pretty cool how about you guys um well i'll start off my favorite dinosaur has always been and will always be the tyrannosaurus rex hell yeah i love that yeah. dinosaur even when i was a kid i, I love that dinosaur um as far as this being a perfect movie, yes, I consider it a perfect movie. It has like, it has, um, how do you say it? It has foreshadowing. It has really, really good dialogue. It has really, really perfect direction. Uh, the, the, the characters are all fleshed out. You know their motivations. You know everything about them. You know their relationships. You know what each one wants. You know, Ian wants to hook up with Dr. Sattler. Sattler wants an wants a family. Alan doesn't want a family and then he changed. And then all that changes toward the Hammond uh, thinks he's, his park is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Then he finds out, you know what? No, this wasn't worth it. Um, so yes, yes. To answer your question. Yeah. I do think that this is a perfect movie, you know? Very cool. Um, I also agree with you, Peter. My, uh, favorite, uh, dinosaur is the T-Rex. 
I had the Jurassic Park T-Rex that had the JP logo on it, which was what no, made those official. those official. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I that. still remember that I left it on my dad's nightstand one time. And then I found the T-Rex on the floor because I guess he woke up in the middle of the night and he freaked out and slapped it off no. the thing because it was huge, right? Like, uh, yeah. I think now they sell one that's like four times the size. It's, it's, it's a huge one. I was like, man, if I ever have kids, I'm buying them this before they even know what it is. But um. I actually do believe Jurassic Park is a perfect movie through and through. Uh, I've actually, Rob, the running time for me actually goes by so fast. It never yes, really exactly. feels like two hours. Like, it, it, I well, thought that's it, what I was it's saying. Short, it's like, I think you know? I look at it and I think, oh, two hours. But then I think like, well, shit, how much do I accomplish in two hours when I'm just watching TV? You know? I think the like, reason why that feels that way is because Jurassic Park always has something that is propelling the story forward in a very exciting and interesting way even in the like more like toned down exposure scenes right like there's always something to be seen and it feels like you're in that theme park you know what i mean like i really believe jurassic park was real like i loved the colors of the jeeps and the gate and everything about it is there's something that is just indescribably magic about Jurassic Park, and I will always say it's a perfect film, and I will hit somebody in a base with a baseball bat if they disagree with me. What <laughs> so. have they got in here, King Kong? <laughs> <laughs> well, I totally agree. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and just to like wrap up what what I was thinking, guys, my takeaway from this is what we talked about earlier. You thought about what you could, you didn't think about what you should. I know right. the quote's different in the film, and I that had I didn't expect this viewing of the movie for that phrase to resonate with me so much. Like, it feels like you can apply that to anything these days. You know, something I've been doing at work. It's like people get so bogged down in meetings at work that you're like, you're not seeing the forest for the trees here, y'all. You know, like, it doesn't matter if we can. Should we even take that route? You know, like thinking about, this podcast, when we started it, we were going scene by scene. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we can do that. But is that the way we need to be doing it or should be doing the podcast? Yeah, exactly. And we've changed it and adapted and evolved. Mm-hmm. And I think you can apply that phrase to so many different walks of life that it's represented really well in this movie. And it's just, a, a, I mean, it's a major part to the themes and aspect of this film. But like... That is something that I have taken away from this film that I I just never would have in elementary, middle school, high school, whatever era I watched Jurassic Park in. And uh and I'm thankful for it. How about I you guys? I love that. I love that. Um, my takeaway from this film is I mean, it's it's almost like twofold, but uh number one, you know, I mean, maybe we should uh you know, I think there's there's good advancements in let's say biotech technology but you know some of these things we kind of should put a little bit of a pause on and think about whether we should be doing this you know that's that's probably one of my one of my one of my takeaways from it next is uh always have good insurance (laughs) 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 always have good insurance because you never know when a dinosaur is going to come around and just eat one of your uh one of your workers or one of your employees or, or right, a co-worker. Right. right. <laughs> um, it's for me guys. And you know, we'll wrap this up, I guess, with this It's just what I take away from Jurassic park is the possibilities. Um, 
because this movie again reflected for me what was possible with movies and what opened up my eyes to spectacle and wonder and i think that anybody who saw this movie in their childhood was just blown away by what could be achieved in filmmaking and what was real like like I said, it's it. I know I say this word. I just can't describe it anything else than magic, you know. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I've got a little Hammond in me uh, in that sense that just because we can, we should. We should push the boundaries of filmmaking. We should try to w- amaze the public. We mm-hmm. should try to bring things back that no one's ever seen before because humanity needs to wonder. And I think that Spielberg... Uh, did that for me beautifully with this movie and it's uh, where I began to learn about his filmmaking and what was ultimately my one of my biggest inspirations in in movie making ever so uh, that's my key takeaway with that so that's awesome and I think we would all be remiss Rob if you didn't share with the audience some of the fantastic news you received recently oh Wow. Yeah. So I hate to jump into it, man, but I want to hear about this. Well, I guess it ties a little bit into what we were talking about. Movie magic. uh, Movie magic and uh, a project that has been. uh, So for everybody that hasn't heard the Riven podcast, uh, Peter and I made a short film called The Riven Destiny, which is a prequel glimpse into a much larger universe, uh, which would be the Riven uh, franchise which is something that I've been developing for over 20 years. And the short film that we made, which took us five years to make almost mm-hmm. for the level of ambition, uh, uh, just recently got a distribution deal. And that is something huge for us. So that boom, is baby. Incredible. Boom. So we are very excited and very proud of that. We're so happy and uh, grateful for the team that worked on this movie with us. And we couldn't be happier, Rob. So thanks for for bringing that up, man. I, I appreciate that. Hell yes. I am like just lucky to be a part of this team, guys. We all love movies. And to just see that you are you guys are getting the, the what needs to be given to a film that you guys have created is just so rad. And, uh, Thank you. You know, Rob, you chose Jurassic Park, so... I first want to say that I would love for people to head to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review, five stars, just to help us build and uh, get some more visibility. Leave us a review of your favorite movies. But Rob, if you could take us home today, that would be great. Well, guys, I got to say, it's always a pleasure to review movies with you guys, especially a movie that we're all so um, fond of. It's been an absolute pleasure today, guys. My name is Rob Federick. Uh, for with Peter and Rob, uh, this has been Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob, guys. Thank you. Hell yes. Woo! Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob is hosted by Peter Madrigal, Rob Federick, and Rob Schulte. The podcast is edited by me, Chris Tyler, and produced by Rob Schulte. If you're looking to support this podcast, check out the merch link in the show notes, or just leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any suggestions for a movie you'd like us to cover, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Christos Tyler or to Rob at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.